to the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in to the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Borgannoni, as always, with my bestest buddy, Matthew Betts. Betts, how you doing, dude? Kyle, I'm doing great, man. I'm super excited to be back from a little trip. Went away to the beach with the family. It was good to unplug for a little bit. You know I had Underdog up all week, of course. But um, yeah, it was good to unplug a little bit, get away from football for just a short time. But I'm, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm feeling rejuvenated for the, the home stretch of summer here as we look towards drafts in August. And then, of course, DFS season is right around the corner. So I'm pumped, man. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Dude, I am I'm doing quite well. Uh when this podcast comes out, I will be a year older because uh, my birthday's later this week. So shout out to my parents and my mom for birthing me. <laughs> and then on top Great of that... Great job by them. I know. I, know I, did, I did very little. I guess I stayed alive, but uh, in the womb and just fought through. And here's the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. This part of the summer, we're turning the corner, like you mentioned, and we are actually headed towards week one. Someone messaged me the other day and said, hey, are you guys going to do all this other content? They listed like 50 other things. I go, no, we are DFS like here on out. This is what we are committed to. And this is what on this podcast, we've kind of slowly walked through some of our mistakes. This week, we are going to talk about specifically roster construction, roster percentages. Last week, we talked about how to approach each position, the four major positions. And this week, we're going to kind of put that together. So how do you construct a roster in a way that's different from other people, that's forward thinking? So this is a really fun episode, and we get to kind of unveil something that you and I have talked about a lot over last year, and that is our roster percentage report. Ayo! Aptly named roster percentage report. And we'll kind of talk about what that means in those numbers, but that's something we're going to add to the DFS pass this year. And I think it's a really helpful tool. I think a lot of times people go in blindly when it comes to constructing their rosters. They're like, I don't know. I like this player. But there's a big difference if a player is 50% rostered and someone that's 10, and uh, you can make some good choices with that. So we are glad you with us. I want to I want to open up bets with a quick question. Give me a player that through the summer maybe you've touted uh, we've talked about him maybe in our blurs for the ultimate draft kit. We talked about him in best ball, but who's a player that you are just saying I'm all in and I could get hurt. It could hurt me bad, but give me a player that you're all in for 2021. Have you ever heard of a player named Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr.? Uh, he's a quarterback. Yes, I'm all in on Tom Brady this year, man. I like it, it sounds so silly to make a claim that you're in on Tom Brady because why would you ever be out? based off his track record of being the GOAT. But the news comes out that he played with the torn MCL last year, and you say, wait a minute. like that's His his year was impressive already last year. First year in Bruce Arian's system. Chris Godwin's in and out of the lineup. Mike Evans hyperextends his knee at the end of the year. Leonard Fournette goes from being cut to Lombardi-Lenny. Um, AB signs with the team. Like, there's just so much turmoil. And, and he weathers the storm, of course, and writes the ship and wins a freaking Super Bowl. And they return all 22 starters. He comes back healthy. He gets all three wide receivers healthy, extreme continuity on the offensive side of the football, and second-year familiarity with Bruce Arian's system. I think Tom Brady stacks in best ball. We're going to play him a ton in DFS. Um, I love him at plus 1650 to win the MVP. I've made that bet. Uh, I'm all in on Tom Brady this year because of, of his price in drafts. Like You have to get him after Joe Burrow. 
right now in underdog ADP. That is just silly, in my opinion. So I'm all in on, on Tom Brady. Very excited for this Bucks offense again. Um, how can you bet against the GOAT ever? I, I hate it. I hate it so much, but I think you're right. I, I've always, I mean, it's a Falcons fan in me. Just, I hate that this guy keeps winning. It's, it's just not something I like. But in terms of fantasy, if I put that hat on, it makes a ton of sense. I actually got Brady in a stack recently in best ball and it was a backdoor stack. Like I didn't have Evans or Godwin or Antonio Brown. So there's like no reason, but he kept falling and I said, okay, he's too good. So I got him as my quarterback one. And then I I call it a backdoor stack because I actually got a couple other players, super cheap Gronk dropped. And then I ended my draft with Tyler Johnson, which is basically saying, Hey, maybe one of those other three receivers gets hurt. Who knows? But it's hard to pass up Brady when he gets to QB 10 like you're mentioning, because you can kind of count on the production. I don't think he's going to be able to solely carry your team. Like you need somebody else to kind of mix in because he's going to have games that are kind of, I don't know, like he went for 250 and one and he didn't add anything on the ground. But I do think that where you're getting him, he can, he can win you a best ball league. He can win you a redraft league. And we're going to be talking about in DFS all the time, including bets that week one game against the Cowboys. Oh, that's going to be so fun. That's the Thursday night game, right? The kickoff right, that's week. The, that's yeah. the first game. And we're going to be talking about showdown strategy in one of our upcoming shows. And then you and I are going to do an entire show just on that game. Did you know that? I can't wait. It's going to be probably the best show we've ever done slash will ever do. Except for this one. Uh, when course. I mentioned this next name and you've heard me talk about it on this podcast before, but I, I had a moment. I had an epiphany bets that not only am I completely overweight in my exposure to George Kittle. Notice where I paused there. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm just all about George Kittle this year. In fact, I would be completely fine if you take George Kittle even near the one-two turn this year uh, in best ball drafts. I'm totally fine. I'm all in. I'm calling my shot that George Kittle ends the year as the tight end one. And I think Woo! Travis Kelsey's reign is over. But, Hot take. Uh, I just think that he's set up to destroy his injuries. You've mentioned before, they're fluky. They're like blocking in the back or just, just the dude's not injury prone. Please tell people that. Yes, he is not. There's a write up in the ultimate draft kit. Please go check it out. Okay. So George Kittle, I just love where you can get him. And you and I bets have been subscribing. If you get a top five pick in best ball, you start off with a stud running back and then you're coming back around and that two, three turn. It's like, you can get another stud running back or a stud wide receiver like a Justin Jefferson, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, and pair him with Waller or Kittle. And I think you're just setting yourself up for success. And you only need two tight ends in best ball. So George Kittle will either uh, elevate me or completely destroy me. And I'm okay with that because he's a really good player. And they just had a, a poll. I know this is just narrative, but they had a poll between executives of who the top tight end is in the league. And for the second year in a row, they voted on George Kittle as the top tight end in the league. And they're not crazy. No, they're not crazy. I can't wait uh, for George Kittle to take the field this year because people are forgetting how good he actually is. Like he almost feels like an afterthought in fantasy last, you know, two years ago, like in dynasty, especially for all our listeners that play in those kind of leagues. Like he was thought of as like the one B to, to Kelsey's one a, and now it's like, I don't know about I don't know about Kittle anymore, man. Like he is going to absolutely come out and have a fantastic year. So I'm with you. I'm very excited. I've definitely been taking him, especially when he falls into like the middle to back of the third. It's just 
break your phone, break the computer, smash the draft button type of situation for me. So let's go Niners. Let's go Kittle. I want to give a quick follow-up question before we get into the meat of our episode bets. And uh, when we're recording this, we just got hit with the news about Cam Akers and Achilles injury. And I know you're giving a lot of updated analysis and you guys are probably going to hear tons of different takes. So Bets and I are not so much going to give player takes or offer injury advice. You're going to do that in the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus. You're going to give all that. Let's talk about it from a best ball perspective. And in terms of just when you play these types of formats, there's so much variance at play. And so it's not time for people to victory lap injuries or getting someone late. It's just showing that this is kind of an emotional game. And I think it's just being able to weather that. So any quick tips you want to give people just telling them like, hey, this is going to happen and it sucks. That's the best way to put it. This is part of the game, um, unfortunately. And this is why people that advocate for drafting later in redraft leagues, it makes sense. Now, when we're here drafting all summer, we've kind of talked about this approach in best ball of building a portfolio. It's why you draft a little bit throughout the entire summer and you start early and then you go all the way until basically kickoff because you have the ability to get ahead on guys that either become values because of injury or emerge later in August. And then the same thing happens where when you wait and you draft kind of later, you get to have the retrospect to be like, well, of course, we don't have Cam Akers this year. Let's see what happens with Henderson. So it, it goes both ways. Um, this is going to happen again, probably, and maybe even twice. Like This happens all the time with these these sort of injuries. So I think that the biggest thing to take away from it is that it does suck. It is part of the game. It is a bummer emotionally like even you know let alone for the player like for us being like this is dumb like i want to see cam makers play football uh but then you kind of look at the situation it'll bounce itself out over the time if you have that kind of exposure to a lot of different players a lot of different teams etc so that's why we do that take that approach rather than just kind of locking into one strategy or one situation yeah a lot of people call it the barbell approach where you draft a lot early and a lot late. And there's pros and cons to both. I, I had people on my timeline today say, see, this is why you draft late. And Betts brought it up. Like there's values that you're not going to be able to get anymore in drafts. And that's just, you know, Jacoby Myers at one point was the last pick that you could take. I now have to get him in the 14th or 15th round and he's going to keep skyrocketing. So it it's, it's one of those things where you can just list out pros and cons, but I just want to make sure that we remind ourselves there's a human element to this game. We're playing a game and it sucks. And we need to recognize that before we only look at our, you know, our money we invested or whatever. Like it sucks for the human being cam makers. It sucks for Rams fans. And we just need to recognize that before we only give player takes and everything else. So uh, there's so much variance. Football is about variance, especially DFS. When we look at it a week to week, you can look at some plays and be like, I know this is going to hit and it just doesn't. So realize that, realize there's a ton of variance. And um, yeah, I just wanted to briefly mention that before we get into our segment. If you want to go on iTunes and subscribe, follow, review, whatever you want to do, we would gladly appreciate it. Bets and I actually do read those. And the thing that matters most to me is just what part of the show has helped you. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to give perfect player takes, but did we help explain things and walk with you in a way where you actually enjoy the game more? And that's like our favorite part is, hey, we got to play with you. We got to be a part of this process. So we're excited for 2021. If you want to go on iTunes, do that. And if you want to get the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus, we are continuing to add stuff with the DFS Pass, including the roster percentage report, which we'll detail today. So Bet's 
let's get into our main segment. Checking in with the wise guys. Bets, that's an old, old, old drop. I almost said an old wooden ship once again, but it is a <laughs> it is an old drop that the original OGs of this podcast, Mike Wright, used to hit that drop all the time. So that's more of an ode to them. Um, we'll see if we get to be wise this year. But uh, do you remember listening to that drop back in the day? Of course I do. Yes. Those were the those are the original ones, the original three that started the show. Those that came before us. So yes, shout out to those guys. Our fathers, our our fathers of DFS. All right. Exactly. Speaking of the wise guys, I wanted to give a, a couple of bits of wisdom related to roster construction. And our goal here isn't to tell you this is what to do in week one. Like we have a podcast coming up in about a month. Well, we'll do that. This is more giving you the framework of saying, how do I take the players that I like and then figure out how to configure them in a way where it actually helps me win? Because you can like the best players. Like if this was just up to playing the best plays bets, we would be filthy rich. And yet there's just so much more nuance to this game. The best DFS players understand there's roster construction nuances to every part of the game. It's more than just matchups and finding value in salaries. That's like a good starting point, but it's basically asking how do these pieces fit together? And when we talk about these kind of pieces fitting together, think about it like an, a math equation. But do you want to go back to math with me? I might sound really nerdy for saying this, but I actually loved math in high school. So yes, please, let's do it. Let's do it. So listeners at home, you know, you got your pen, you're on the toilet, you got your you got your your uh, notebook with you. You're ready to take your pen notes. Pen on the toilet. <laughs> you're good to go. Uh, well, the essentials. Think about this. There's a couple of simple variables that are in play, and the ones we talk about a lot is did this player, you know, four x on their salary. You know what we're saying is take this player's fantasy points. All right. That's a variable each week. And then you have to divide that by their salary. And basically that's how you figure out, did they 4X or 5X? That's their multiplier. But there's another variable that we don't usually think about. And that's someone's roster percentage. So it's not just what's their points and what's their salary. It's also how much are they rostered? And I want to give you this, this hot stat bets and then it lets you take it away. But uh, last year, Josh Allen, you've heard of him? I have once or twice. He did good last year. How good was he last year? Do you remember? He was the best quarterback in fantasy. So good player. You probably wanted to play him in DFS and we did play him in DFS. But if you went back and looked at the Millie makers rosters, which I know is kind of a different subset than maybe a lot of people play, but it's the most popular tournament, right? He made exactly zero appearances on winning DraftKings rosters. Josh Allen never showed up on a Millie Maker roster. Bets, what does that tell you that Josh Allen, despite being awesome, being the number one quarterback, never showed up on Millie Maker's rosters? Do you, what do you do with that info? It tells you that DFS is a one-week season, right? When we're looking at end-of-year finishes or, you know, a lot of times when we talk redraft and the guys just on the main show, they'll talk about where a player finished or kind of where they were in terms of a um, points uh, per game is played. And this you know, redraft is all about like how you look across the season. DFS, all we care about is one game. We care about what you do for three hours on a Sunday. That is it. Nothing else matters. So the fact that Josh Allen had, of course, amazing weeks, we know that he did. Otherwise, he wouldn't have finished as a QB1. It tells us that in these big tournaments, this is why you play tournaments, that 
there was just too many people playing him that it didn't allow him to become different for your lineup, or maybe you didn't have the right combination of Josh Allen yeah, in your lineup. So that's why roster percentage is so important. If Josh Allen is the quarterback one every single week, but everyone is playing him, it doesn't really matter. And think about with Allen, like he got to the point where he was expensive. We know Diggs was expensive. So those two together were eating up a ton of salary and they could have had ceiling games and they did a, together a couple times. But those two together also didn't give you access to maybe some other players that you did need that week. So Josh Allen could have easily shown up. I'm not saying that he wasn't a good play. He was awesome play. But reality was just the way that you configure a roster isn't just who's the best quarterback. Um, he did have a couple of other games that are kind of fluky where like it was a Sunday night game where he went bananas and, and um, there's another game where he had a huge ceiling game, but Diggs didn't catch a touchdown. So that's probably why he didn't get there because everybody was stacking them. But let me ask this question and then we'll kind of go through this list, but how can people be better than the field in terms of roster construction, in terms of how they fit together their players? Yeah, I think it kind of, you know, you have to think about it in terms of like a checklist, I would say, and we'll go through that next. But there's different things that you want to think about each week when you're looking at roster construction and you're looking at the percentage of these players that you're putting together. You have to be willing to, I think, use each of these pieces of, of the checklist that we're going to talk about and kind of put them together and then, you know, go through this and really sit down. I think truly like writing them out or like having them reference is is the way to do it. And then kind of looking at, you know, how do these players fit this checklist that we're going to talk about in a second? And then from there, is it too popular? Is everyone doing it? Am I playing in a cash game? Am I playing in the Millie? Am I playing in a 200-man tournament? So being willing to kind of match your roster construction with your percentage to what you're playing in terms of a weekly contest, I think matters a ton because there's a lot of people that are entering lineups into the wrong contest, but still factoring in the roster percentage. Like they're you know, they're like, ah, well, like I'm, I'm entering my cash game lineups this week. I know Christian McCaffrey is going to be about 50%, but that's fine. I'm just going to play him no matter what in every lineup in every sort of tournament that I'm playing. And that might burn you because again, other people are doing the same thing. So that is where this roster percentage becomes so, so important. But the checklist that we'll talk about next is going to highlight a lot of this in more detail. Yeah. Let's go straight into that checklist. And when we're talking about checklists, we're not saying this is the only thing but it does give you a different, a couple different templates in terms of constructing a lineup and creating it. It's not perfect, but most of the experienced players, people that have winning lineups, they start with this in mind. So bets. Once again, I look back at the Millie Maker winning lineups, uh, courtesy of Fantasy Labs, which you and I love using for research. But 16 out of 17 weeks, that team was stacking. Is that kind of like a duh? Got to do it. You have to do it. <laughs> 14 of 17 weeks, they were game stacking, meaning like they took that game and they did more than just quarterback and wide receiver. They were running it back with someone else. And usually it's a quarterback and a pass catcher, 15 out of 17 weeks. Now, there are some other templates that you can use. So every once in a while, we talk about the correlation between a running back and a defense. Do you want to explain why maybe that works? Not all the time, but it, it can work. Yeah, the idea is like a game script where... Let's say your defense, I'm trying to think of a good example. Let's say for some reason you play the Titans defense and you have Derrick Henry. You're sort of counting on like the Titans defense to come out and stop whoever the opponent is. Maybe they recover a couple of fumbles. They have some sacks. You know, they just dominate. They overwhelm the other quarterback, pick six, and the defense hits for you. 
Well, okay, if that's the case and the defense is putting this game away in terms of it being a positive game script for your offensive player, namely a running back, then in theory, if they're winning, Derrick Henry's going to touch the ball 25 times guaranteed. He'll be able to kind of ice the game away as the clock goes down. So it's one that I think can work in those situations. I don't put it as high as an emphasis on the other things that we're going to talk about. It's maybe like the last thing I'll do if if it fits roster construction wise, or if I like the matchup for a defense, I'll do it. But there's also benefits to not correlating those because there's games that just go bananas, right? Like you could be playing the Falcons defense and they're getting destroyed over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, they get a pick six. Did they actually have a good game? No, but they'll get there based off that touchdown. So there's just so much randomness to defense. And there's also like not a lot of teams that have a spike week. So being able to identify which ones those are with your running back, I feel like is sort of a fool's gold. Um, I don't use it a lot. I've, I've used it a little bit, but definitely not high on my priority by any means. I think it's fine in certain matchups if they're a salary saver at defense, but you and I don't love paying up at defense it's a little bit more random. We talked about that last week. I do think one that I think about a lot is for the most part, I would say 75, 80% of the time, I'm only going to have one running back per game. So if it's Derrick Henry on one side and they're playing the Chief, or yeah, the Chiefs, I'm probably not going to have CEH on the other side. Like I need, I need the game script to work out really well where it's a back and forth. And usually it's like one team gets ahead, they run the ball and the other team's battling back. So for the most part, it can work out. I looked at the Millie Maker lineups and uh, there was one time where Naeem Hines was like the play, but you don't really think of him as a running back. He's more of like a slot wide receiver uh, playing there. So max one running back per game. And then another thing for defense I'll throw out there is you probably don't want any players playing against that defense. I mean, that just, you don't want your wide receiver playing against, I don't know, the Steelers. If you're playing the Steelers, cause you're hoping for a spike game, especially in a GPP for the defense. So that just makes sense. But anything else on the checklist and we'll make sure we have this in article form for you guys, but anything else you want to run through with the people? Yeah. I just think one more point in terms of that running back defense stack, the correlation there is only 0.1. The highest correlation could be is one. Point one is low relative to these other correlations that you see. For example, a team's quarterback and their wide receiver one has a 0.55 correlation. So it's it's not high on the list by any means. I just want to kind of give some numbers to that. But I think other than that, we have a pretty good checklist here going, at least in a place to start how you build your rosters. And then going from there, now we look at creating player pools and roster percentages. And next week, we're going to have a whole episode on stacking. So if you heard us briefly kind of, you know, go over that and talk about team stacks and game stacks and all of those. Like we're going to spend a whole episode just talking about that, but that's probably when you have a checklist, I think most people do that. There was one week last year bets where somebody didn't stack their quarterback and I'm going to, this is putting you on the spot. So if we're not stacking our quarterback, what do we want from them? Usually we want them to be running in the football to score touchdowns. Okay. So you're, you narrowed down the field. Let's keep going. Give me, I'll give you three guesses. There's one quarterback. It it's Jalen Hurts. It. it was not Jalen Hurts on the Millie oh, Maker roster. Oh, come on. I thought it was the week where he was like the starter and everyone was scared to play him. Ah, dang it. Okay, so it's a running quarterback. Yes. Not stacked. Everyone at home's like yelling. They're just yelling That's, the answer. I mean, the obvious answers would be Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. 
or Josh right. Allen, but he didn't win the Millie. Right. So it's not those two guys? This is, I'll give you one more hint and this will be your last guess. This guy is more like a, he's not really a quarterback. Let's just put it that way. Oh, is it our boy Taysom Hill? It was Taysom Hill. Oh, that seems so obvious now in hindsight. <laughs> if you look back at that week and you use this checklist, you'll go like, what the heck? How did that line, how did they figure out their lineup? They didn't stack. They had like multiple running backs. It was just a weird lineup. And uh, maybe that's why they just ignored the rules and they won the million. That's that's the takeaway, right? Just ignore everything. Yes. Just ignore everything you're going to hear today and you'll win money. All right. So we just talked about creating a checklist, but the next thing you can do in terms of roster construction is create a player pool. And I love this part of the exercise because it gets, for me, it's like Tuesday and Wednesday of the week where we know the matchups. We've turned the page from the previous week. And then I like to do something where I just get out my notebook and I list all the matchups for that week. And maybe the Vegas totals, if you want to use a spreadsheet, be a spreadsheet bro or girl, that's fine. Um, but list all the games and don't look at any of the salaries. Why do you think this is kind of important just to like throw everything down before you really start getting in the nitty gritty? Yeah, I think that can be helpful. I know you like that strategy a lot. I don't employ it as much. I know you're a big spreadsheet and notebook guy. And just for listeners, there is a notebook. Like actually Kyle writes this down, so he's a psycho. Um, but that can be helpful because it gives you an idea of like, okay, where am I leaning this week? Before I even look at like, oh my gosh, he's so expensive. Why would I ever play him? Like it gives you an idea of where you like to go, what matchups look good, what players look good. And then from there, you can kind of take a step back and say, okay, here's the player pool that I would like to have. Does the salary and the roster percentage allow me to access that player or not? Because that's going to be what really dictates and kind of thins down the player pool. Because initially, you're going to have a lot more guys that you feel pretty comfortable with. And then you might take away one or two at each position based off of, you know, they're, they're too expensive or they don't fit you know, your roster construction because the salary is too much, or they're going to be 70% rostered, like they're just too popular. So it really does help you to kind of get a good place to go. And then you can kind of trim it from there. Yeah, you want to figure out where your biases are, your priors. We've talked about that a couple episodes in the forecasting 101 episode, but all right, go through the list and say, okay, here's a couple of quarterbacks. I say maybe four or five quarterbacks I like this week, because it can be easy to kind of laser in and say, ooh, this is my play this week. While, you know, maybe there needs to be four or five quarterbacks you look at. When you and I narrow down our player pools for cash, we go back and forth between a couple of different guys and say, okay, well, if I wanted Kyler Murray, here's the high end of guys I like, and here's kind of the middle quarterback, and then here's the cheapy. So we need at least, I, I, I think you need at least three guys based on the different tiers for quarterback that you look at. And then running backs, there's always going to be the studs that you're going to look at and say, okay, well... I mean, how can I completely X out Christian McCaffrey ever from a field? Like, I feel like he's the one player, him and Dalvin. I don't know if I could ever X them out. Do you, do you feel that way? Not really. No, I can't see a scenario. I mean, Derrick Henry, we did it last year, and it's, it's probably the scariest person to fade by far. Yeah. Oh, 100%. He's the most terrifying. You feel like Derrick Henry's beating, like, like personally beating you up when uh you you try to fade him so uh go with like four or five running backs that you like and then at wide receivers there's just so many dudes that go up to 10 and just on that list write down who you like um same thing with tight ends just a couple here and there and then defenses but once you've identified that initial player pool then you can compare it to our salaries that we have posted for FanDuel and DraftKings and find out who values are 
and then you can work from there. But it's really important to start with that in mind, and then you can kind of add or subtract players. And Betts and I aren't the kind of people that just say X people out. We're just saying be completely underweight. Like if you don't like Derrick Henry this week, I probably will have maybe like him in a couple lineups, but I'm too scared to just not play that guy in any lineup. I just think for my psyche, I need that. Yeah, trying to sleep on Saturday night before a main slate when you just know that you're not going to play Derrick Henry is is not a thing that I, I like. Um, I will say in regards to that, what we're re- referencing here is some people just play one lineup each week, and that's fine. And obviously, you have to make that choice of like, I'm going to play more, I'm not. What we're referencing is, you know, maybe you're entering 20 lineups across different platforms, or Kyle's uh, big into max entering these bigger fields with like 20 lineups or 150 lineups sometimes. Like we're talking about those scenarios where you're trying to create several lineups that aren't the same, obviously, to give yourself more chances at that top prize. And so, yeah, we know Derrick Henry can bury us. We know Dalvin Cook can bury us, those guys. So let's say he has the week where he goes off for his 250 and three touchdowns. I do not want to be that week without any Derrick Henry exposure. So what we're referencing is being underweight, meaning we think the field is going to roster him you know, at 25% this week, maybe I only play him in 15% of my lineups because I don't think that he should be that high is kind of what we're referencing there. But yes, getting burned and buried by the King Henry is, oh, absolutely terrifying. Uh, No, that's a helpful little discussion point for people to understand. And we have optimizer in our DFS pass that allows you to literally say, I want 15% of my lineups to have Derrick Henry. And it will try to get you as close as possible to that. So that's really helpful Because we like to talk about percentages, like 15%, 20%. It may not sound like a lot, but if the field has them at 35%, then it is a big deal. It's a a huge difference in terms of what you're entering in. But let's go through a little bit further some helpful tips about roster percentages, a couple of rules of thumb. So we need to understand that this is a guide, and it's based on what we have as algorithms. It's not perfect science. So in our DFS pass... I will give a shameless plug for this because we, you and I have talked about this and we're putting in work right now. I was actually looking at the spreadsheet bets right before this. It was a, it was a beautiful Of course you thing. are. This is a guide where we basically say these players, based on the matchups, their salary, and based on just DraftKings, this is how they do stuff. Here's where we think this player is. So people are pretty emotional and one of the things that we've talked about before is the buzz report. And you can see on Twitter kind of the emotional tide the week has where it's like people start mentioning a player and then it just starts building. And Derrick Henry is one of those players. Like he's an emotional player to figure out because it's not just he's a running back. He's Derrick Henry. He's the most imposing player in the game. And so it's hard to just separate that. But when you look at the percentage, it gives you a number that we would say, hey, this is a good estimate. And I always tell people like, I could be wrong in our algorithm. Like it's not perfect, but at least gives people some something to start with. It says like, oh, I had no idea that Derrick Henry was going to be at 50% this week. I mean, 50% is insane and you have to make a call on it. Um, but also these percentages tell you that safety is not what you want to use in DFS. I think a lot of times we want the safe players in cash. We want the safe workloads, but no player is safe. Every single player has a downside, especially at their salary. And that's what kind of makes up what we call uh, chalk or these different plays. So you kind of want to, bets you want to run through 
what we mean by chalk or dart throws or low rostered players? Sure, yeah. The chalk is what we reference when we say this player is the chalk running back this week, the chalk wide receiver. It's just that he's going to be popular. People are playing him because maybe he's a good player and has a great matchup and the salary fits. So it's like, okay, yes, he's going to be popular. We know this. From there, you just need to decide based off of how popular is he going to be? Is he going to be worth putting in your lineup? And we talked a lot about that concept on last week's show when we talked about chalky running backs and wide receivers. So definitely check that out for more detail on that. When you look at guys that are going to be low rostered, it kind of changes based off the position. But in general, I think a good rule of thumb for these bigger tournaments is we're talking about 7% or less, basically. These guys that can help get you different in these tournaments. And we talked about it again last week that when you win tournaments, the data shows that most teams that come out in the top, they have at least one guy that's about three or less percent rostered. So again, you have to be getting different and identifying these low rostered guys um, is really, really crucial to winning in tournaments. The dart throws, we're talking about like just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hope this is the week. I don't have a lot of analysis to back this up. He's not a player you would maybe play in redraft. Almost certainly wouldn't play in redraft. That is rostered on 2% or less of teams. Again, those dart throws can help get you different in tournaments because no one else is doing this. If that wide receiver has a massive 150 and two game and you're one or two people out of a hundred doing it, you're going to like skyrocket up the leaderboard towards the prize. So that's kind of that player that you're looking for. And that's what we reference when you say chalk, low rostered or dart throws. With dart throws, we remember the victories and I do not remember most of the time when we shot, we threw the dart and missed, like, because it, it really happens pretty frequently. So there's a couple of dart throws last year that, like, I feel like made my season. The Chase Claypool call, like, was one of my favorite calls of the year. But, like, that, that week, I threw five darts, all right, in my article. So I hit two of them. But most weeks, it's like, if I hit one, that was a really, really good week in terms of, prediction and dart throws. And I think a lot of times people don't understand that part of fantasy football uh, in terms of accuracy and percentage. Like if you are near 60% accuracy in terms of your rankings, you are like a demigod in this industry. Like it's, it's crazy. 50%. If you hit 50%, you're really good. You can stay with this. But a lot of times people don't actually, you know, we don't see all their takes. And so Twitter, you just see the one tout that somebody had. So dart throws, just to give some context, it's really 2% and under, and if it hits, it hits, and you say, woo, but you likely missed all your other ones. It's just going to happen. So dart throws are just for GPPs. Please do not throw darts in cash, or uh, it, you'll lose a lot of money. But let's talk about one more concept, and then uh, I have a little something special for us, bets. but let's talk about leverage, because that is one of my favorite concepts, and it's one of the best feelings in DFS when you have leverage on the field. Do you want to explain that one? It also just sounds really cool. Like it does. this week, my leverage player is is this guy. Um, yeah, so what we're referencing there with leverage, you have to use roster percentage to do this. Otherwise, the concept of leverage doesn't make any sense. What you're saying is, okay, these roster percentages that we're projecting in the DFS pass, they are showing that this running back or this wide receiver are going to be really popular this week. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a step back and say, how does it go wrong for that player? And if it does... How do I how do I capitalize on that event? I think a good example is looking at you know a stack, for example. Maybe let's say like Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. I would say 80% of the time, that is going to be better than playing James Conner this year, right? <laughs> like clearly. 
Those are, are two fantastic players. They're going really high in redraft and best ball leagues. They're awesome. We don't need to tell you guys that. But is there going to be a week or two here or there where they are a very popular stack and they miss? Yes. And if that happens, but the Cardinals still have a good week, maybe James Conner fell into the end zone twice from two yards out that week and people were falling over themselves to get Kyler and Nuke in their lineup. And then all of a sudden, James Conner is the one you wanted. So that is how you create leverage. You basically look back at the roster percentage, who's going to be popular. If they fail, how does someone else capitalize? And that's the player that you want. I looked back at the Cardinals last year and the biggest negative correlation with Kyler was the running back one. It was Kenyon Drake. So when Drake had a good game, it usually meant that Murray didn't have a ceiling game. So that's what's so important is you just find those correlations and they'll pop up over the season that you go, okay, this is kind of clear. If some way I see the game script go differently or just Hopkins doesn't get there, then I have taken the entire field and said, hey, all your Murray and Hopkins stacks, I am just pushing you guys and just sitting on top of you guys. And you go up the leaderboard that way. That's like, that's the good feeling is you get these points. James Conner is 4% rostered. And let's say Hopkins and Murray are like 30% together. Then you're just creating leverage over the entire field. So it's really good, but you need to have the roster percentage projections to see like, okay, this is doable. If Connor's 10%, then I wouldn't be as likely to do that because you're not creating that big of leverage. But if he's 5% or lower, then you are setting yourself up in a really big field uh, to do that. So we'll talk more about leverage, but I actually... I wanted to do a little something, Bets. I want to play a game. Fear. Immediate fear. My heart is racing. I wonder if you're listening, does that make you feel like I have this power over Bets? Like I can just basically tell him, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play this game. Uh, <laughs> you don't have a choice. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. So I, I like to spring these games on Bets and... For me, I like to kind of look back at last year. And if you're listening, you get to be in the exact same spot as bets. You get to listen to the information and then make a decision. And so bets, I went back to a random week last year and I wanted to give people a picture of what uh, what the roster percentage report would look like if you were to get this information. So let's go all the way back to week eight, November 1st, bets. What were you doing last year, November 1st? <laughs> probably sitting on the couch. Uh, I eat really healthily, so I probably just had a nice salad for lunch as I'm setting my lineups, getting ready to watch the one o'clock slate. I would imagine that's what I was doing. You were just working out and eating a salad? At the same time, yes. I definitely was not eating a salad at, at this time. But week eight, <laughs> I want to give you the top running backs, okay? And this is the final information that we have in terms of roster percentages, so I can look... At the Millie Maker that week and say, here are the most popular running backs. But based on our algorithms and stuff, like I think we'd be within five to 10 percentage points. So I think we'd be pretty close to this order. All right. So number one, the number one most popular running back was Kareem Hunt, followed by Jamal Williams. All right. And they were both kind of in that 6,000 range. But bets, their final roster percentages were almost 50%. What does that tell you before? I didn't, I'm not going to tell you how they did. But what does that tell you why they were so popular, probably? So I remember this week being one of the weeks that we had Nick Chubb out. So everyone assumed it was the cream hunt week. 
Uh, and then as well, this was the week where there was bad weather in Cleveland, I believe. And Cleveland and uh, Vegas played in just a wind storm and there was tons of running the football. And everyone, I'm sure, pivoted last minute to say they're going to run the ball a ton. Cream Hunt is the play this week. The Raiders are awful. Let's go there. Same thing. Looking at Jamal Williams with an Aaron Jones missed week against Minnesota. This, this is where the chalk will go at running back when the starter is out the chalk and the roster percentage will follow the backup running back. You were spot on. And I, I love this exercise because there's a piece of the information that you don't know, listener, you don't know their fantasy points, but you're actually going to get this information that we just went through every single week beforehand. Like you're going to know the salary and then we're going to give kind of a roster projection. So yeah, the top two most popular running backs were basically weather and backups. Like, cause Nick Chubb was out, Aaron Jones was out. And I think we would both say they were a good play. But 50% is wild that it would end up that high. Let me give you a couple others. The other high-priced running backs that week were third and fourth, all right? So the top two running backs were Derrick Henry at 8,000, Alvin Kamara at 8,200. And they were both, you know, Kamara was 23%, Henry was uh, 30%. And it makes sense. They're the best players on the board. They're the best running backs. They're the two highest-priced guys, and it's Derrick Henry and oh, by the way, he was playing the Bengals. So uh, why do you think people liked him that week? <laughs> Last year, the Bengals defense was hashtag not good at football. It's it, When you look at how this slate started, it makes a ton of sense. The cheap, the cheaper running backs, the high-priced guys. There's a low-priced guy, Miles Gaskin, who was getting a lot of love at 5,200. So he was kind of like the cheaper popular running back. And then you kind of had some more middle tier. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor at Detroit. Why do you think he was popular? Oh, this is when he started to turn it on, I think, later in the season. Jonathan Taylor coming on. Uh, price was affordable, 6600 And then the Lions. I mean, every week it was like, who's playing against the Lions this week? Yep, let's play the running back. So he was just the next man up in that rotation. All right, so two more. Josh Jacobs, you mentioned earlier that Cleveland and Vegas game. So Cleveland wasn't the team that we thought they were at the beginning of the year. Like, remember, they were just kind of like near a 500 team and then they turned it on towards the end of the year. Uh, so Jacobs would have been a play that you would have said, hey, 6,200. I could see them with the weather, you know, getting control of the game clock and just riding Josh Jacobs. So that makes sense. I want to give you bets. And this, I think this might jog your memory, but the eighth most popular running back that week. Okay is a guy by the name of Dalvin Cook, and he was only at 10% rostered. What Do you have any memory of this? This was quite literally the best day of my life. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh, I, <laughs> I picked a random one for real. Oh man, no, this was, this was the week. I remember saying to myself, and this is a perfect example, like we do not come on the show to talk about our personal victories. That's not my goal in this doing this, but I had an amazing week with playing Dalvin Cook because of this reason. I looked at the roster percentages that were projected for that week, and I was like, Dalvin Cook is a really good running back. The Packers are not good at stopping the run. Why is he number eight in projected salary or seven or whatever it was entering the week? Everyone was falling all over themselves to play backup running backs when Dalvin Cook is staring you in the face as an amazing play that week. Um, it's easy to get stuck in the group think. When you just take a step back and you look at the roster percentage, it can open up this whole new, like, you know, you have this whole view of the slate in a different way. And that's what I did that week. Uh, played a ton of Dalvin. Obviously, he had an amazing week. I think he went for like 50 DraftKings points. 51. And if you played him, 
you did really well. Yeah, and and I don't think you're saying the other guys were bad plays. Like, no, Cook was right below Kamara and Henry in terms of salary, and I think we would have said Henry would have been a good play. Kamara obviously has a high as high a floor as anybody, but it's looking at these roster projections and saying to yourself, okay, well, here's how I could actually create a ton of leverage on the field. Everybody's playing Jamal Williams in this game. What if I went with Dalvin Cook? All right. And the Vikings actually did win that game at Green Bay. So it, it's just one of those, you have a lot of the information. You don't have the final piece of information. You got to solve for the puzzle. But with this, you can make better decisions. And I, I think this is a great example. We'll give more as we get closer to the season. But this was a fun one. I'm glad that I, I picked a random one. I really did because uh, it stood out to me. But let's go through one more. Okay. I'm going to give tight ends. And with tight ends, of course, we're only playing one. So the roster percentages are going to be way lower than running backs where you're going to start at least two, maybe another in the flex. But this was week five bets, October 11th. Any idea what you were doing then? Oh, that was a really chilly morning here in Vermont. <laughs> Probably had just gotten back from uh, maybe a run. Maybe I was, you know, out that morning at the gym, coming back, sitting down on my computer like this is going to be the week I walk away a millionaire. Let's do this. I'm going to look back at your Twitter feed to see if this is actually true. <laughs> so I will scroll. If you guys have receipts, go back then and look at Betts' Twitter feed. Someone from October. will get Carpal Tunnel scrolling all the way through to go back to October of last year because I have been tweeting far too much recently. And they'll basically say, why am I doing this with my life? I'm scrolling on another man's timeline just to see what he was doing that day. All right. Week five, October 11th, I want to give you bets the top seven most popular tight ends, okay? Number one, you ready for this? Evan oh, Ingram. Oh, gosh. Evan Don't Ingram. say it. Ugh. Yuck. Evan Ingram, and I mentioned this, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but I got kicked in the nuts repeatedly over and over and over again in redraft, uh, starting Evan Ingram every single week because he was getting the volume. And that's really hard to argue with. We love volume. We love seven targets a game. And his salary was pretty cheap, 4600 And he was playing at Dallas. And he was 17% rostered. So does it make sense that he was popular? I actually think I remember talking about him as a play that week, being like, it hasn't been great, but he's going to get there eventually with these targets. And I remember last year with Dallas, there was several weeks where Leighton Vandrash was out there starting linebacker. And we talked about how tight ends were succeeding every week. It's almost like it reminded me of like two years ago where it was like, oh, you just play your tight end against the Cardinals. Like you don't even think twice about it. You just do it. And then you fell into the trap. And here's Evan Ingram staring you in the face with nothing. So yes, I recall that week vividly. Yeah. And he was at that dangerous salary where last week we talked about how middle tier tight ends are like, you know, vomit inducing, but he was like just cheap enough, 4,600 where you could say like, ooh, Evan Ingram in cash. I think I can do that. He's getting the volume. He was 17%. The next most popular tight end was the most expensive, George Kittle. He was 6,600 against Miami, and he was 17%. And that makes sense. Like, he's George Kittle. He's awesome. The third most was Travis Kelsey at 6,400, and they were playing Las Vegas. He was only at 12%, so he was actually a step down. And then at the very bottom, if you wanted to punt that week, the popular punt play was Eric Ebron at 4K. Why was he so popular, probably? That was the week they were playing my Eagles, who did not cover the tight end at all. 
last year. And this is the trap that we talk about sometimes when you log into DraftKings or FanDuel and you see the green with the matchup. I guarantee you it said green next to Eric Ebron's name for the Eagles. So we see that. He's cheap. They were throwing a ton last year in Pittsburgh. It made sense. So again, on the surface, it looks like a good play. Yeah, I think with Ebron... I think with cash, just looking back, it probably was a fine play at 4K. Uh, but in tournaments, you look at this and you say, okay, well, they spread the ball around so much in Pittsburgh. If any other tight end has a ceiling game, then Eric Ebron is a terrible play. And the other tight ends uh, on that list, Darren Waller at 5,900 was at 11%. And then a bunch of other cheapies, Dalton Schultz, your boy, at 4,800. And then Mo Ali Cox all the way down there at 4,200. So based on this information you have in front of us, bets, was there any play that stands out to you? How in the world was there ever a week where Travis Kelsey was $6,400? Like That's what sticks out to me in hindsight, because as the season went on and he just had an amazing year, each week he was going up to seven, then it was seven and a half. And by the end of the year, he was 8K to play. Sometimes I think even more. So that right now, obviously in hindsight, is like, okay, yeah, duh. But taking a step back, being like, he's cheaper than than George Kittle. We know Travis Kelsey's ceiling. We know the Raiders last year were a horrific defense. And then you see all the chalk flow to these other guys that you just, you don't know what you're going to get. Like any week, you don't know. So that makes a ton of sense for sure. I think Travis Kelsey at that price. Same thing with Darren Waller, who was even lower roster percentage again we know his ceiling and he was cheaper even than travis kelsey it's the classic baby bear approach where there's three tight ends that are priced above everyone else all right kittle was the top and then down at the lowest was waller so if you were looking at those tight ends you would say okay if i want to pay up and get different from the field i want to get george kittle and then if you're like oh you know what i want to get an elite tight end but i don't want to get the most expensive i'll get darren waller but right there, just right in the middle, was Travis Kelsey at 6,400. That was the lowest. He didn't go any lower than that in terms of his salary the rest of the year. It's kind of crazy to think he was only 6,400 because he was a wide receiver one. And that was that game we talked about last week where it was Chiefs and Raiders. And somehow the Raiders got control of the game script. They won 40 to 32. And Travis Kelsey got a ton of volume and uh, he won Millie Maker for someone. So. It's helpful to see this even at the onesie positions to look at the roster percentages, look at people's ceiling and be able to say that. Now we're saying all of this in hindsight analysis, okay? So it makes us sound like, wow, we could read the situation perfectly, but you are going to have this information every single week. Like this is part of the conversation that we'll have. It's part of the frustrating part because once you get to Friday or Saturday, you have a lot of your mind made up, but the roster percentages is the part that actually can tip you in favor of saying this guy's a good play to like, wow, Travis Kelsey might be the best play on the board based on our projections. So any final thoughts on that tight end group? Uh, lots of pain. I'll tell you what that is right there. Oh man, I can't believe Evan Ingram was actually the most popular player that week. That is absolutely bananas. I will, I will go through and, and I'm going to put out some more content about Millie Makers and who was popular, but you go back and you're like, whoa, this dude was insane like there was a week where alvin kamara was 74 percent rostered that yeah, is crazy and he was probably a good play uh i want to give you a couple of final statistics before we close i looked at every single millimaker winning lineups of the 17 weeks and this is just a key 
piece of information bets and I discussed last week, but the average salary bets was 49,900. So what is the takeaway for people? People try to get different sometimes by saving their money and spending down on worse plays. Clearly that is a bad strategy. Spend your money. You don't always have to go to 50 K, but spend, we talked about the threshold threshold being like 49, six or 49, seven. Do not spend less than that. It is not a positive EV move. Yes. Almost. I mean, two thirds of them were right at 50,000. They used the whole salary. The lowest last year in the millimaker was 49, five. And there's a 49, six, but other than that, everybody's just way higher. So yeah, people aren't getting weird and spending only 48,000 or 4850. Like they're, they're spending all of it. And then I also looked at the total roster percentage of each one of those and they averaged out at 119%. And what we mean by that is if you took the roster percentage of everybody in that lineup, quarterback all the way down to defense and you added them up, they averaged about 119% in terms of roster percentage. And we tell people, you probably want to be somewhere between 100 and 125. That's kind of like the sweet spot. It's okay if you're lower. That means you were getting real weird. It's okay if you're a little higher. But if you start creeping up above 150, you have a lineup that is not, you know, not that unique. And so in a in a field, you end up playing a bunch of chalk plays that don't really matter. So 100 to 125 is kind of the range. And then the last thing I'll say just for fun is I looked at every single total output. So if you're like, I want to win a tournament, the Millie Maker is the tournament in all of DFS. Like it's the one that people talk about the most. It's the ones on the commercials and it's fun. Bets and I will throw in a, a dart throw, but we're not like max entering this thing by any means. The average score last year was 241. What does that tell you? In DraftKings scoring, you have to hit the nuts, man. You have to hit the nuts. Like in cash, like you're like, oh, cool. 170 this week. Sweet. I'm having a great week. Like in DraftKings, Million Maker, it has to be perfect basically for you to win a million bucks. Um, and it has to be perfect based off of player performances of guys that aren't necessarily projecting as the best plays that week. That's the take home from this message. If you want to win in tournaments, you need to be willing to look at the roster percentage and find good plays that still can put up points that are not popular. And clearly they have to have a ceiling to them. Otherwise it will not get you anywhere. And a lot of times you'll see it on Twitter, but there are weeks where just the entire field is elevated. It's the phrase, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats where you're like, I killed it this week. I have 200 points. Why am I not winning a GP? Why am I not cashing? Like I remember there was a week last year where I hit 205. My lineup was zooming and I did not cash that week. That is insane to me, Bets, that that can happen. That's Max Payne right there. Very much, <laughs> very much sadness on Kyle's couch that Sunday. So we're going to give more of these insights. It's something that we get to give time to right now and unpack that different lineups. So this was more GPP centric. We're going to keep talking more about different ways to stack next week that can help in both cash and GPP. And then we're just going to keep this train rolling. We're going to talk more and more about DFS until we get to that first week. So bets, any closing words you want to give the people? This is fun, man. It's always good to take a step back and look at roster percentage. Crucial. It'll be in the DFS pass this year. Can't wait to ride with you guys this year. It's going to be fun. We'll see you next week. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.